morning, church. My name is Tara. I will be reading from Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 to chapter 4, verses 10. Galatians 3, verses 26 to chapter 4, verses 10. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave. But a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. This is the word of God. Uh, Won't you just join me in a word of prayer before we come to that passage? Heavenly Father, we've been singing wonderful songs about the beautiful freedom we have in Christ, how our chains are gone, we've been set free. My God, my Savior has ransomed me, and like a flood, His mercy reigns. Unending love, unending grace. Uh, Father, we, we, we praise you for your amazing grace. Uh, we, we, are, we are so schooled in performance. Um, we, our hearts resist your amazing grace. Our minds fail to comprehend your amazing grace. Uh, Lord, it's, it's, it's just beyond us. And so we need... We need you to minister to us in the power of your spirit this morning. We long to have some grasp of the height and breadth and depth of your love for us in Christ Jesus. Because we know that's the only thing that's going to change us as a people. And we long to be changed. We long to be more made more in the likeness of our Lord and Savior. So please meet with us this morning. Through your word and the power of your spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you to Tyra and thank you to Ndi for blessing us this morning. Um, Many recognize the passage that Tyra just read for us as the heart, the beating heart of Paul's letter to the Galatian churches. So as usual in our series, what we're going to do is we're going to start by just trying to follow his argument. What What exactly is Paul saying to the Galatians? so that we then can discern what God is saying to us here this morning in Midrand. Paul's argument goes something like this. Counter-missionaries are going around to his Galatian churches, 
and telling them that to belong to this movement, what they need is faith in the Messiah and that little conjunction and and circumcision into the law. Paul had said, you need faith in the Messiah. If you want to be saved, if you want to belong to God as his children, you need faith in the Messiah. This group says, yes, Paul, amen, and. You need faith in the Messiah and circumcision into the law. Jesus and circumcision as a rite of passage into a life of law-keeping. That's how you get in, that's how you stay in. Paul says, no. Not a chance, not on your life. Christ is how you get in, Christ is how you stay in. You get in and you stay in through faith in Christ and through faith in Christ alone. In fact, Paul says, it's not a question of what you do at all. It's a question of who you are. You've had a change of identity. You are now a child of God. Have a look there in the first verse of our passage. Chapter 3, verse 26. For in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, not in Christ Jesus and a little bit of circumcision into the law, in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. That's your new identity. Sons and daughters of God. And then he goes on to say, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. When you receive Jesus in faith, Galatians, it's as if you put him on like a garment. And your baptism is a symbol of that. It's a bit like uh, putting on a football supporters jersey. So we have our friends from the UK, from Jesmond Parish with us here somewhere this morning. Do you mind raising a hand? There you go, right, right up front and center. Uh, they'll tell you, living in the UK, if someone asks, who are you? The answer you're likely to get is, I'm Liverpool. I'm Man United. I'm Newcastle United. That's not who you support. That's who you are. And it doesn't matter what's under the jersey. That's irrelevant. Anyone can put on the jersey, and when they do, it defines who they are. Paul says, if you put on Christ, it doesn't matter what's under the jersey. It doesn't matter if you're Jewish or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. Of course, you don't stop being those things, but they are no longer your primary identity. First and foremost, you are a child of God. Whatever your secondary identity, male, female, slave, free, you all belong to Christ in equal measure. So those things have, those secondary identities have absolutely no impact on that most precious, most core and central thing when it comes to speaking about our identities. Through faith in Christ, you are children of the Father, which means the inheritance is yours. As children, as brothers and sisters of the firstborn son, Jesus, through faith in him, you inherit the promise of blessing that God made to Abraham, the man of faith. And we looked at that in some detail last week. Sean did such a fantastic job of opening that up for us. If you missed it, please, please go and look online. Paul's point is this, there is absolutely no reason for a Gentile Christian to become a Jewish Christian. That's dealing in secondary identities. 
secondary identity markers. Absolutely no reason. In fact, to do that is to deny who Christ is and what he's done. To give you your new identity, it's to throw your new identity back in his face. To do so is to deny the primacy of that new identity. It's like a child opting for the status of a slave. That's what Paul says. And that's the big idea that Paul wants his Galatian churches to get. Now remember, those Galatian churches were made up of Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. And so the next thing Paul does is he applies the basic logic of the gospel, your new identity in Christ and its primacy. He applies that argument to each group. So in our passage, he applies it first to the Jews, chapter 4, verse 1 to 7. He's addressing the Jewish Christians at that point. And then he turns in chapter 4, verses 8 to 10, and he addresses the Gentile Christians. Okay? So first to the Jews, Paul says to the Jewish Christians, when you and I, and of course he includes includes himself, this is the Rabbi Paul speaking, when you and I were under the law, and only under the law, in other words, apart from faith in Christ, when you and I were under the law, we had the status of slaves. Read there with me, 4 verse 1. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he's the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, we Jews, when we were children, we were enslaved. Paul is saying to the Jew, the Jewish Christian, you know, The law, let me remind you, the law was only temporary. And in fact, while you were under the law, you had the status of a slave. But what exactly were they enslaved to? That's a key question. Verse 3. In the same way, we also, when we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of this world. As Jews under the law, when it came to knowing God... They were enslaved to elementary principles. It's as if they were stuck learning the alphabet. The goal was to read Shakespeare, but they were stuck endlessly reciting their ABCs. Of course, God wasn't finished with them. He wanted them to read Shakespeare. And so, when the date set by the Father arrived, chapter 4, verse 4, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, born a Jew, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we, Jewish Christians, might receive adoption as sons. You see, the goal was never for God's people to live under the law. The goal was for God's people to live under the king. The goal was never for God's people to be his slaves. The goal was for God's people to be his children. And the difference between the two is Jesus. He makes all the difference. And because Jesus has ascended to his Father's right hand, he has sent his Spirit to live in us, amongst us, and through us. For us... To be sons and daughters, the Spirit of the Son must come into our hearts. And by the Spirit of the Son, we are invited 
into the relationship of the Son with the Father. Jesus cried out to God, Abba, Father. And by the Spirit of Jesus, we can make the very same cry, the very same appeal. Abba, Father. So Paul concludes in verse 7. Jewish Christian, because of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. You are children of God. Jesus Christ has inherited the whole universe. It's his. As his younger brother or sister, what's his is yours. Jewish Christian, in Christ and only in Christ, you are a child of God and you are an heir to the whole universe. Do you recognize who you are? The law could never do that for you. If you go back under the law, you're turning your back on all this. You're turning your back on this magnificent identity that God is giving to you as a gift. You're going back to being a slave. Next, Paul turns. Remember we said he changes gears in verse 8. He turns and now he addresses the Gentile Christians. Because they too were slaves, only in a different way. Look there, verse 8 with me. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. They were slaves to the idols they worshipped. And once again, Jesus made all the difference. Verse 9, but now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, in Christ they are known by God. And known, not in the sense of a fact sheet or a data point, known in the intimate sense of a father-child relationship, known in that way. They are known. And yet they too are at risk of trading away that precious relationship, that precious identity. Look at verse 9. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world? whose slaves you want to be once again. You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid that I may have labored over you in vain. The Gentile Christians used to worship pagan idols. And one of the, one of the popular gods in that time, uh, at that time and in that place was the moon god, Maine. So they were slaves to the moon. They were worshiping the creation rather than the creator. Paul says, if you put yourself under the elementary principles of the world, if you get circumcised and place yourself under the law, if you buy into the idea that you need Jesus, but you also need to follow the Jewish calendar of holy days, a calendar determined by the sun and the moon, well, then you might as well go back to worshiping the moon god. It's the same thing. You're going to be a slave all over again. You will be a slave when you could be a son, when you could be a daughter. Okay, let's exhale. That was a lot. Here's our introduction. What is Paul saying? Let me, let me try and distill it for us very succinctly. He's saying to the Galatian Christians that in Christ they have a new identity. 
They were slaves, but in Christ they've been adopted as sons and daughters. To try and get that identity, or to try and keep that identity by circumcision and law-keeping, is to throw that identity back in God's face. It's to deny that, the identity that they do have and to go back to being a slave. Because you can't relate to the Father through the law. You can only relate to the Father through love. That's the nature of the relationship. And that's true whether you are a Jew or a Gentile. You can't relate to the Father through law. You can only relate to the Father through love. Are you following the argument? Are you with me? It's really important that you're with me because we face the very same temptations that the Galatian church has faced. The very same temptations. We were slaves. In Jesus, we have a new identity. We have been adopted as sons and daughters, but we are constantly tempted to go back. Constantly tempted. We are tempted to try and take for ourselves what only God can give us. And that's how slaves relate to their master, not how sons and daughters relate to their father. So let's have a look at it together. The three headings. The new status, the way back, and the way forward. Those three things. The new status, the way back, and the way forward. The new status. We're so familiar with these things. I don't, I don't think we stop to grasp the magnitude of what we have in Jesus. God has a son, an eternal son. That son shares his status as child of the father with us. He gives it to us. And when we receive that gift by faith, by faith, we too are children of God. Children of God. Can you imagine? In the presence of the living God, you have the same status as Jesus Christ himself. I hope it's blowing your mind because it should be. I hope it's breaking your heart wide open because it should be. Let's go back to the football jersey analogy. I could use Springboks, but um, I was there last night and that's two hours of my life I'm never going to get back. <laughs> it was pretty desperate. So we're going to change codes. Imagine that this was the Kaiser Chiefs fan club. Okay, now I'm sorry Buccaneers, don't panic. It's just an illustration. Next time we'll go with Buccaneers. But for today, we are the Kaiser Chiefs fan club. Each one of us puts on the gold and black. We all Kaiser Chiefs. It doesn't matter what's under the jersey. Does it? Would it? It doesn't matter what's under the jersey. We're all fans. The same is true when we put on Christ. It doesn't matter what's under the jersey. It doesn't matter if it's a vest or a bra. It makes no difference. It doesn't matter if underneath the jersey there are wrinkles or muscles. It makes no difference to your status as a believer. It makes no difference if the body under the jersey hasn't washed in a week. Or if that body has come straight from the spa. It makes no difference to your status as a believer. You are still covered in Christ. 
it doesn't matter if the one wearing the jersey is an introvert or an extrovert. It doesn't matter if the one wearing the jersey is a convict or a concord justice. It would make no difference to your status as a Kaiser Chiefs fan, even less difference to your status as a child of God. For those who trust in Christ, for those who put on Christ, the retired female surgeon from Venda, or the little Afrikaans boy in preschool, the same status, the same identity, the same relationship to the Father through the Son in the Spirit, the very same. Their secondary identities matter, of course they matter, but they have absolutely no impact on their status in the family or what they stand to inherit, which is the universe. Now how is that even possible? Because we're saying something extraordinary, at least Paul is, in his letter to the Galatians. We're saying that the things that normally make all the difference in life make no difference in Christ. How could that be possible? Well, two things. Our identity as children of God comes first. And secondly, that identity is a gift from God. Those two things. In other words, the jersey is free. It's free. And what's under the jersey has nothing to do with who gets the jersey. Absolutely nothing. So you can't buy this jersey. You can't earn it. You can't Work your way towards it. You you are not born into it. You can't think your way into it. You can't discipline yourself into it. You can't bargain or trade for it. You can't negotiate for it. Your talent, your performance, your determination, your background, your experiences, your net worth, they count for nothing. It's pure gift. And it's God's gift to give. That's the only way it comes to us. Once you were a slave. But now you can call God Baba. And that's a gift. God has given you himself. And here's the extraordinary thing. In the process of giving you himself... He's also given you yourself. You are who you are, a child of God, by the grace of God. It has nothing to do with who you are in your secondary identities. Nothing. Good, bad, ugly, it makes no difference. Makes no difference to who can wear the jersey. But this is something that we, even as children of God if that's who you are, if you have accepted Christ. It's something that, that even children of God find very, very hard to accept. We can say it, we can accept it in a setting like this, but to accept it at the level of living it out as your functional reality, to trust in it with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, that is something we are constantly resisting. Constantly warring against in our hearts. We constantly face the temptation to go back to being a slave. And that brings us to, secondly, the way back. That sounds crazy, doesn't it? 
that a child would want to swap that status, that privileged identity, that privileged position in the family for the status of being a slave. That we would choose to relate to God as master rather than relating to him as father. When you say it out loud, it makes absolutely no sense. But here's the thing. Sin never makes sense. If you're honest with yourself, and if you follow sin out to its inevitable consequences, it never makes sense. Sin is always irrational. Sin is always lunacy. And yet somehow we believe this lie, and somehow this madness is attractive to us. Somehow sin in us prefers slavery to sonship. Now the temptation looks slightly different depending on what kind of slave you once were. And make no mistake, we are all sitting here former slaves in one way or another. Every single one of us in this room. Former slaves. What the temptation looks like depends very much on what kind of slavery you were in bondage to. Just like it looked different for Jews and Gentiles, Jewish and Gentile Christians in Paul's day, the Christians he's ministering to, their former slavery looked very different. The Jew-Gentile equivalent in our day is perhaps those who were once slaves to morality versus those who were once slaves to idolatry. Right? That's probably as close as we're going to come to a Jew-Gentile slavery divide. Those who were once slaves, this is us here this morning, those who were once slaves to morality, those who were once slaves to idolatry. And I'm not suggesting you're sitting over here and you're sitting over here. <laughs> Let's start with slaves of morality. This is those of us who tried to relate to God through good, clean living. You know, you often hear people talking about Christian values or a Christian ethos. And that's, so, that's good in so far as it goes, but there's a, there's a big danger in talking that way and thinking that way. Because it can so easily be misunderstood when you talk about Christian values and Christian ethos. It's so easy to misunderstand that what we are talking about is what makes you a Christian and what keeps you a Christian when we talk about Christian values and Christian ethos. Better to talk about Christian identity, I think. We can, we can be understood, we can convince ourselves, and we can be understood to be saying that what makes you a Christian and what keeps you a Christian is living a certain way. Right? So to be Christian means you are honest. To be Christian means you're a person of integrity, good Christian values, great ethos. Sexual purity is something you take seriously. Social justice is something you're passionate about. Christians are those sorts of people. Good people. Upstanding people. That's what it means to be Christian. The Apostle Paul would call that slavery. We need to hear him this morning. He says that's slavery. And we'll come to why in a moment. There are others of us who don't come from that background at all. We come from a different back background. We were slaves of a different sort. We were slaves of idolatry. And so we worshipped, I'll just take 
the three idols that predominate most in our culture, we worshipped money or sex or power. We threw off the shackles of clean living, boring, boring Christian do-gooding. And we ran after freedom. We ran after living to please ourselves. No one else was going to tell me how to live. I do me. Of course, what you find when you get there is not freedom. You find you face down in a pig's trough. That's what you find. It said freedom in the bottle, on the bottle, didn't it? On the packaging. But it's its own kind of slavery. It's a special kind of slavery. The God of pleasure seeking and self, self-witness, is a cruel slave master. It promises freedom, but the price is so very high. You end up sacrificing all your meaningful relationships, your marriage, your children, your friends, on the altar of self. This God takes more and more until he owns you, because self can never be satisfied. You must have, if you have pleasure, you must have more. You never have enough. It's not freedom. The pursuit of pleasure owns you. It's slavery. So many of us can testify to that. So we see, we see two very different types of slavery. Almost polar opposites. But again, the very striking thing in the way Paul addresses this issue is that at their core, they're the same thing. They run off the same operating system, if you like. Did you notice? Paul calls this operating system the elementary principles of this world. And again, did you notice he applies that label to Jewish law-keeping morality in verse 3 and to pagan idolatry in verse 9. The same label. These things run off the elementary principles of this world. In essence, slave morality and Slave idolatry are the same thing. They run off the same logic. They meet the same sinful desire in all of us. And that's the desire for security through control. We want to feel safe, and so we want to be in charge. We want to belong, and so we want to be in charge. And so we curate our lives, and we engineer our destinies. We do that either by being in control, that's the one option, or we, want, we, we all want to be in control, but either we, we, take, we, we get control by taking it for ourselves. That's the one option. And so we end up slaves to idolatry. That's the more aggressive approach. Or we try and get control by being good and manipulating God with our goodness. We end up as slaves to morality. We get control by trying to control God with our goodness. That's the passive-aggressive approach. So you've got the aggressive approach and the passive-aggressive approach. The aggressive approach says, I'm going to worship what I want to worship. You end up a slave to whatever it is you're worshiping. The passive-aggressive approach says, I'm going to be good so that God does what I want him to do. You end up a slave to that goodness, however you define it. Point is this. Whether you are a slave to an idol or a slave to your own moral standard, you are not a child of God. 
no amount of slavery can make you a child of God. You cannot enslave your way into the kingdom. That's the logic of slavery. I want what God has to give. I'm either going to take it for myself or I'm going to force him to give it to me. Paul calls those things or the logic underlying all of that, the elementary principles of this world. The elementary principles of the gospel are almost the exact opposite. The logic runs in the opposite direction. And we see it in how Paul corrects himself in verse 9. It's, it's so interesting. It's almost a slip of the tongue. Right? Listen to how verse 9 moves. And watch Paul correct himself mid-sentence. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God. Did you see that? Paul corrects himself mid-sentence. That correction, I, I'm convinced that God didn't exercise his editorial rights at this point because it actually reveals the gospel to us. That correction is the heart of the gospel. It's not that you know God. It's that he knows you. It's not that you save yourself by law-keeping. It's that he saves you by his son. It's not that you fulfill yourself with pleasure. It's that he fulfills you with his love. It's not that you take control. It's that he gives you the freedom of belonging and the freedom of obedience by his spirit. It's not that you are worthy of being his child. It's that you are unworthy and he loves you as a father loves a child anyway. J.I. Packer has written a famous book called Knowing God. Anybody read it? Okay, there's a smattering of us. You have to be very careful about correcting a hero of the faith like J.I. Packer. And so one day, when I hope to meet him in heaven, God willing, I will tentatively go up to him and suggest that maybe the book has a better title. Instead of knowing God, known by God. Because that's the logic of the gospel, that's the logic of grace. The operating system of the Christian faith and the Christian life is grace. It's not what I do for God. It's what he's done for me that makes all the difference in the world. Let's try and think about it like this. There is absolutely nothing I can do to become part of the Zulu royal family. I'm sure you'd agree with me. I can learn to speak Zulu fluently. It would take me a number of years. I can learn to speak it even with a thick KZN accent. I can move to Nongoma in KZN. I can go through all the rituals. I can attend all the festivals and the ceremonial events in the proper traditional garb. None of it is going to get me anywhere near the Zulu royal family. None of it. The only way, the only way is if the king himself invites me in. Do you see that? The only way is if he declares me crowned prince Mlungu Zuelatini. <laughs> it's the only way. 
And as you can imagine, I don't need to convince you, that is going to come at great cost to him and to his reputation. How much more so for God? There is nothing a sinner can do to get remotely near the heavenly palace. Nothing. You can try and build your own palace here on earth out of pleasure, but it's going to end up being a prison. You can try and bluff your way into the heavenly palace by pretending that you're good enough, but your orange overalls are going to give you away. There's only one way in. The king, at great cost to himself, has to leave the palace to make room for you. It's a gift. It's called grace. It's the only way to get in. It's the only way to stay in. And it's the only way to move forward in the kingdom. And with this we close the way forward. Paul's message to the Galatian Christians is that by the grace of God in Christ they have become children of God. If they now try to relate to God by the law, they are forfeiting sonship. And they're going back under slavery. That's his message to them. God's message to us this morning is the very same message. You have been saved by grace. By grace you are a child of God. Grace is God's gift to you in the person of his son. Can you imagine? Faith in the son, and only faith in the son, makes you a child of the father. Don't go back to slavery. Don't try and, to re- and relate to the Father on your own terms. Don't try and control the Father with your goodness. Don't try and add to the performance of Jesus. Do, you, do we understand how insulting that is? Jesus, I need to top you up with some sexual purity of my own. Jesus, you've done well, but let me just add a little bit of social justice. Thank you, King Jesus, for what you've done, but I'm going to take it from here. That's the constant temptation, isn't it? So what's the way forward? The way forward is to fix our eyes on the King. He is the living embodiment of God's grace. His cross is the eternal monument to our sin and the ridiculous futility of our pathetic Self-help projects. If you ever want to be disillusioned, if you ever want to understand the stupidity of our self-help projects, look at the cross. He's the one who wears our filth so that we can put on the royal robes. We get the crown because he took the thorns. We get the throne because he took the nails. We get the father because he took the judge. He did it to make us children of God. Now as a child, now that he's done all that, in the freedom of who you are in Christ, you can live for him out of love, out of thanksgiving, out of joyful obedience. But don't go back. 
How could we ever possibly go back? Let's go forward together in the freedom of His grace. Let's pray. Father, we praise you and we thank you for the King. He calls you Father. And now by his sacrifice and his spirit, so can we. Help us to see him as he is. Help us to live daily in your grace and out of your grace and from your grace. Keep us from ever trying to go back. In Christ we have you as Father. Keep us from ever trying to relate to you any other way. Help us to live lives of thanksgiving and joyful obedience that witness, constantly witness to your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.